restoration. Restoration is a, is a huge business these days. Uh, not only are more and more people uh, flipping houses, they buy a dilapidated property and then they fix them up and they sell them for a prof- profit, but we get a front row seat to that process. Uh, if, if you, uh, man, and almost any channel these days, there's at least a show or 12 that, uh, that, that walk you through this process. Uh, HGTV or Discovery Plus or now the Magnolia Network. Yes, Chip and Joanna Gaines not only have a show, they have their own network, right? And uh, and it's not just a network, but you uh, probably know about the, uh, the, 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 I guess we could call it a dynasty uh, in Waco, Texas. Uh, anybody visited the silos yet? You've got it on your bucket list, maybe? There's, I, I see that hand. That's good. Yes. Okay. Uh, they have, man, you, well, you see the silos. Uh, they've got um, offices there. They've got an ice cream shop. They've got a restaurant. There's a bunch of stores and shops. There's a, a softball field. Uh, they even have a church. They moved a church there and rehabbed it. And, uh, and it's, it's part of their, uh, their little uh, block there that they have um, that, uh, that, that, that they are uh, restoring um, literally house by house. Um, I'm sure that probably you know the, the gist of the, the show, whether you've seen it or not, uh, but uh, uh, the, the, the premise revolves around buying what looks like a junk property, right? And, and there's not much, if any, hope of, uh, of that thing being a place where somebody would actually want to live, but with enough money and enough design and enough elbow grease uh, and some of Chip Gaines shenanigans, right, that's got to enter into it, then, uh, then the property is restored and it's much better than it ever was before. The highlight is the big reveal at the end. They have this that big canvas, and they have it together, and the couple is standing, or the person or whoever owns the house, and Chip and Joe standing on either side of the canvas, and as, the, as you would, as one would in Waco, Texas, uh, they say, are y'all ready to see your fixer-upper? That's how they say it, you know, that down there, y'all. Yeah, okay, it's... And then they pull the canvas back and it's amazing to see all of the renovations and the fixes and the updates and, and, uh, man, almost every time those homeowners, at least one, probably both of them get a little emotional, right? Sometimes a lot emotional. And, and watching it, uh, <clears throat> Sometimes viewers get a little emotional, and I mean, it kind of seems a little goofy to weep over new flower boxes and a fresh coat of paint and a metal roof, but I mean, there it is. There, there seems to be something about seeing a thing restored that gets straight to our hearts, right? Ever since uh, Easter, I've been reminding you about, uh, about who God is, right? He doesn't change, and he's always involved in our lives. He's always speaking and guiding us. Uh, he's, he, he's always hearing, inviting us to, to pour out our hearts to him. He's always seeing. He cares about what's going on in our lives. Last week, we, we realized that God is always pursuing. He initiates relationship with us. He's reaching out to us, not just waiting for us to come to him. God has been doing these things, acting this way from the start. Uh, the, the, the same God, it's kind of mind-blowing to think, the same God who spoke with Adam and Eve speaks to us. The same God who guided Abraham directs our lives. The same God who sent Jesus in pursuit of saving souls continues to pursue us as the hound of heaven, right? And that leads us to one more aspect of who God is and what he is always doing. God is always restoring. A little bit like Chip and Joanna repairing and restoring broken, outdated, dilapidated homes. 
God restores broken lives and dilapidated souls. Uh, Our text today comes from the book of Jeremiah. Uh, It's a pretty large book in the Old Testament, 52 whole chapters. Uh, One of the major prophets, uh, he was a a prophet, uh, served as a mouthpiece of God to the people of Judah for over 40 years, right up until they were conquered by Babylon and taken into exile. It was a sad time in the life of of God's people, and, and Jeremiah's words were not usually full of too many positive things. Because the people continued to disobey, and so consequently, Jeremiah has come to be known as the weeping prophet. Uh, he he uh, was grieved by the people's disobedience and, and uh, the destruction that was coming, and they weren't listening to him, and he kept telling them and warning them, and they weren't listening to him, and, and, uh, and, and he was uh, certainly distraught over that. Throughout the, the book of Jeremiah, uh, God directed him several times to do, uh, I don't know, it was almost like object lessons, I guess it was, object lessons in, in order to illustrate the message that, uh, that he was sharing. A- at one point, he, he, uh, God had uh, Jeremiah buy a belt, and uh, uh, a very nice new belt, and then he, he buried it for a while. And then God at one then told him to go uh, dig it up, but not uh, until it had actually deteriorated in the ground and had become useless. And he used that as an illustration to represent the Israelites who had become useless to God because they wouldn't obey. And this was the object lesson. And, and that's one of, they were, there's another time they were, uh, uh, Jeremiah took two baskets of figs. One was uh, uh, wonderful, great, ripe figs, and the other one they were rotten and nasty. And, uh, and, and God said, use this as an illustration. The, the people, uh, uh, the good figs are, are like the people who follow God and, and will, are going to go into exile, but they're going to come back and they're going to be restored to, uh, to life in, in, the, in the land. But the rotten figs were, represented the king and the people that were following the king who weren't listening to God, and they were going to follow the consequence or suffer the consequences. Uh, this, this well, there's, there's a lot of them in there. Uh, uh, one I want to focus on today is, uh, is in Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, another uh, object lesson. Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. It says this, This is the word, of the, Lord, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. So Jeremiah is led to the potter's house, to the guy that makes pots. He's the potter. We got that? So he's going to the potter's. It reminds me of kind of getting a factory tour, right? The, the behind the scenes, how things are. I think there's shows on all those networks about, about that too, right? We can go into the factory and see how they make whatever. Uh, maybe you've been down to uh, uh, Dalton where uh, P. Graham Dunn factory, maybe you've been in there and the, the, you can look down over the, you're in the, the gift shop um, and you can look down through the window and see them putting together all their, uh, their awesome uh, stuff there and, and how they, they uh, cut it out and they paint it and they box it up and, they, and you can see all that back we we as a family a couple of times maybe more times than we should have have gone to uh, the the harry london chocolate factory it's over there uh, real close to the akron canton airport um 
there's, you know, conveyor belts and, and chocolate drippy machines, you know, just like you see on the, and the things and the, and you, and you, and you, uh, you, they don't let you walk through the factory because too many people going through will, well, your body temperature will raise the temperature and so they keep it at a set whatever degrees and, and so you, they, but they've got this thing set up and you can walk through and take the th- tour and there's a sample at the end. Well, there's a gift shop too and you usually spend some, but they give you a free sample and, and, and uh, some of you might be going there this afternoon, I guess, because I just discovered that to you, but um, that's a little bit like what uh, what what God had Jeremiah do here. I guess I mean he got the behind the scenes tour at the potter's house, watching the master at work creating pots, and God taught him some valuable lessons about how how he works in people's lives. The potter is a is an artist with skill and strength uh, to form the clay. He has a plan for what he's making, and so he spins the wheel and and he's molding and shaping with his skillful hands as the clay turns. And the clay is soft and malleable, and it it molds under the pressure of the potter's hands. And the, the process takes time, and the, the clay has to be worked and and reworked. And sometimes there are lumps in the clay that have to be smoothed out. And sometimes the piece just isn't turning out like the potter is envisioning, and so he starts over. Right. The clay might tear, or it's off-center, or it, uh, it's flawed in some way, and it has to be remade. It has to be restored. And although maybe at first Jeremiah might not have thought too much about uh, going to this, this common craftsman making a common pot, this is actually a great picture of God and how he works in our lives. I, I'm sure there are many things to notice in this story. I want to make three observations today as we think about this God, our God, who is always restoring. The first thing I want you to know is that the clay is marred, and we are the clay. Now, I'm assuming that most potters look for good quality clay when they're making pots. I feel sorry for God that he has to deal with this less than stellar clay like, like me and you. Maybe, maybe we don't use the term marred much anymore in conversations, but, but other translations, maybe as you were reading along, maybe you saw the word spoiled. Uh, the clay was spoiled there in verse 4. Um, other synonyms might be uh, blemished or flawed or, or tainted. In other words, this clay has problems, right? Uh, no matter what word we use, it, we're all marred or flawed spiritually. That's what sin does to it. It, uh, it corrupts us. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us are spoiled clay. Spoiled clay does not make quality useful pots. A pot with flaws will not fulfill its intended purpose. So we are lumps of clay and when we put our faith in God, it's like allowing him to pick us up and throw us onto the, onto the potter's wheel. Verse 6 there says, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. We could insert, O people of God, right? Uh, we are like clay in the potter's hand. But that's, that's just the beginning because there's a lot of work to be done, uh, lumps to be worked out, imperfections to remove, salvation, allowing God to pick us up and put us on the wheel. That's just the beginning, right? A lump of clay being thrown on the wheel doesn't immediately produce a pot. It's still a lump of clay. It's just maybe dizzy now, right? Because it's spinning around. 
It's, it's in the right place. It's ready to be molded and shaped, but that takes time and effort. And, and I guess this is where the, the metaphor breaks down a little bit because, because in our situation, it's possible for us to actually resist the touch of the potter, right? Uh, it, it, even many times, uh, it's possible for us to jump back off the wheel. We can step outside of God's will. We can, we can choose to live in sin and disobedience. We can make decisions that, that cause imperfections to form in, in the clay of our lives. We can decide that maybe we've grown enough. Okay, that's enough, God. Let me, let's, uh, let's just pause the whole forming thing. I don't want to be molded anymore right now. Even so, it's, it's at that point that, that we learn some, some, some valuable lessons uh, that, that, that Jeremiah learned. He, he knew he could see the clay was marred. It's spoiled, but it can be reworked and remade. It can be restored, and that's number two. God can restore marred clay. The potter has power over the clay. He reworks it. He remakes it. He restores it. Uh, That truth should bring us hope today because there are many who trust in God to begin a life of faith, but then, much like the the people of of Israel of that day, they wander away and they do their own thing and they they resist the touch of, uh, of, of the master craftsman at work. Whether it's a conscious decision or, or just simply drifting away spiritually, we can, we can develop, I don't know, for lack of a better term, lumps, I guess. Or, or we can develop hardness, uh, hardness to the things, an unwillingness to be molded and shaped anymore. The harder the clay gets, the less moldable it becomes. And that, in my mind this week, as I thought about that, took me clear back to elementary school and Play-Doh. You've played with Play-Doh. There's something strangely satisfying about opening a brand new can of Play-Doh, right? Uh, it's, it's soft, it's pliable, uh, a little bit gets stuck under your fingernails, I mean, and there's that smell. It's just that oh, the aroma. It's just, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, some children, some children might even take a little nibble. Because it's just so, you know, mm, just played it, right? They had, I don't know if they still do, uh, I, I suppose they still do. They had these play sets, right? And uh, whether you had a play set or not, uh, we probably all know what it's like to play with, with fresh Play-Doh uh, and the difference in using old Play-Doh, right? I mean, uh, maybe the lid didn't get quite tightly put back on, right? Or, and it's crusty around the edges or, or hard pieces get mixed into it or, uh, uh, you know, maybe somewhere along the way as you're playing with it and everything, it picks up a little piece of uh, this or that and there's, there's dirt or crumbs or, or, or whatever and, and all that gets mixed in there. And uh, I mean, when, uh, when you have all that mixed in there and you're using the old Play-Doh and then you get the, the, the set that I think it's, it's a little harder for daddy to grow his Play-Doh hair, right? Because those holes are kind of small, right? And, uh, and those, those little, little chunks don't quite come through as well. There's, there's crusty hard pieces in it. And, and what's true, I, I think we can make this spiritual leap here, what's true of Play-Doh can be true of us. If we, if we don't keep our hearts soft and clean before God, submitting to his work in our lives, allowing him to mold us and shape us, we can become hardened. Sin stiffens us to the touch of God, not allowing him to do his restoration work. 
Hebrews 13, uh, 3.13 says, uh, Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin deceives us into thinking that, that we don't need the potter to form us. We think that we can shape our own lives. Now, think how, how ridiculous that sounds using the picture of that, that God showed Jeremiah at the potter's house, right? The clay on the wheel telling the potter, I'm going to make myself into my own pot. Thank you very much, right? I, I can restore the lumpy spots of my life myself. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, and yet that's what so many people do, thinking that they can live how they choose and then still experience the blessings of God. And all that forms hard places, and it spoils or mars the clay. And you and I cannot restore marred clay. We, we, we got ourselves into this mess the mess of sin, we've hardened our hearts and marred the clay of our lives, and you and I are the clay, we're not the potter. We cannot restore what has been spoiled, but God can. God is always restoring. It doesn't matter how much or what you've done or how much you failed, we must let the potter do what he does best and remake us into something beautiful. Jeremiah saw that at the potter's house. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, we see Jesus demonstrating this uh, throughout his ministry over and over and over again. Uh, I I think of of, uh, two different tax collectors, Matthew and Zacchaeus, uh, both looked down on by society, both guilty of skimming off funds from the taxes for themselves. Jesus came along uh, and called each of them to a better life following him, and and he took what looked to be marred and broken, two lives that, that, that... uh, many would have said were, were too far gone to be restored, and he restored them. I think of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, uh, uh, marred, broken, spoiled. Instead of condemning her as, as he could have done, Jesus forgave her and restored her and called her to lead a new life. There was uh, Mary Magdalene, who had been possessed by seven demons. Talk about marred clay, right? Beyond repair. Uh, Jesus cast out those evil spirits and restored Mary, and she followed him uh, along with uh, his, his band of disciples and, and others who were following Jesus. She was the first to see Jesus raised from the dead on that Easter Sunday. Uh, there's so many others. We could, we could think of so many examples, but Peter's story sticks out to me the most. Peter was arguably Jesus' closest companion. Uh, he, he declared that, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was loud and boisterous and in following Jesus. He declared that he would never deny Jesus, but, but on the eve of the crucifixion, three times, Peter did exactly that, denied he ever even knew Jesus. And Peter realized uh, what he had done, and, and he was a broken man, and, and he had rejected his Savior and his friend, and I mean, you just don't come back from that. Spoiled clay. But, but at the close of John's gospel, we see that Jesus intentionally sought out Peter and restored him. Three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And it's, it's not a coincidence that, that Jesus asked three times, just as Peter had denied him three times. And he gave uh, Peter the, the, the chance to be restored. Each time Jesus was, is reworking that clay, right? Forming and shaping and restoring Peter to be useful, calling him once again to feed my sheep. 
Peter became the leader of the early church, unwaveringly proclaiming and preaching the good news of Jesus, even in the face of opposition, and thousands came to faith under his leadership. Only God can do that, restoring marred clay. God is always restoring. And so I guess there's, there's just one more thing that we need to hear today as we stand with Jeremiah in the potter's house. Not only is, is the clay marred and that God can restore marred clay, but we need to know that God wants to restore us. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I hope that you take the, this metaphor personally. It's not just the story to read uh, that, that, that happened however many uh, years ago. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, the mess that you think you have made of your life, the lumps in your clay, God is longing to remake and remold and restore you. It's, it's the loving work of the potter. It, it's mirrored in, in Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You are God's masterpiece, a work of art created by a master craftsman and he keeps creating and recreating. He reworks the clay, molding and shaping, getting rid of the lumps and the spoiled parts and sometimes he even has to start over forming and shaping and restoring the clay as as it says in verse four, as it seemed best to him, hmm. as it seems best to him. He is restoring his vision of your life, restoring you to the life that he desires for you, as it seems best to him. He's not taking a poll. He's not, he's not asking you what you want, as it seems best. The transformations on, on shows like Fixer Upper are, are pretty mind-blowing, uh, what was rotten and falling down is transformed and given new life. Even brings a tear to the eye at times. <laughs> but, but that's nothing compared to a life that is restored by God. God is always restoring. So our part in that is to not resist it, right? Don't resist God's work in your life. Don't harden your heart to his touch. Allow him to keep molding and shaping you as it seems best to him. We serve an always God. God is always speaking, always hearing, always seeing, always pursuing, and always restoring guess what I want you to hear is that this is personal. God loves you and he is always working in your life.